All right, good morning. My name is Brian, as Jim said, and he's got a little bit different idea of what a treat is than I do, but hopefully this morning goes uh, well. Me and Jim were up late last night burning the midnight oil at the uh, father-daughter dance, so if I'm a little sluggish, you know why, because Kids Bop just got the best of me, and um, we had a good time. So, all right, so we're in part four of our series 90. A couple of questions, you know, when you grow up religious, um, I've found, at least in my experience, but when you grow up kind of in the church or um, in a religious setting, it's easy to love your religion more than you do people sometimes. And that might shock you a little bit maybe, but, but I find that it's easy to hurt people or friends or family or, or, or others around you when your religion and be with your religion, and then you wonder why they don't want to be a part of it, right? Like, like we're so emphatic about it that we end up hurting other people, and then we invite them to come join us, but they don't want to be a part of it because of the way we've treated them. And so it's kind of a, a cycle there, and it's, it's interesting, but we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But we're in this series called 90, and, and we started out um, you know, talking about John the Baptist and introducing him and how he was kind of like the opening act for Jesus. And, and we talked about these three things, that Jesus came to introduce you know, a new covenant a new command and a new movement. And we're unwrapping these three big kind of topics over the course of this 12-week series. So um, we're hitting kind of some of these at different points, but that's overall what we believe Jesus came to do. And so last week, um, Jim taught us, we talked a lot about Peter and the invitation that Jesus gave to Peter and how he invited him to follow him. And that was kind of a weird concept for Peter. He's like, I got a day job, you know, I got to catch some fish and all that. And so Jesus basically does a fish trick and then convinces Peter like, whoa, maybe I do need to step out and maybe I should follow you. And that's all it took for Peter was just like a fish trick. And then he was sold. He was following Jesus and it changed his life. And for us, Jim gave us a... a, a, um, an invitation similar to that last week. He didn't do any fancy, you know, fish filleting up here, but he invited us to take a next step, to, to figure out what your next step might be. And maybe it's, it's to, you know, mend a broken relationship. Maybe it's to leave a relationship you shouldn't be in. Maybe it's to, you know, dedicate your life to Jesus for the first time, or maybe it's to do it for a second time. And so all of this is kind of to prepare us because we don't really know what hangs in the balance of that decision. What hangs in the balance if we decide to actually say yes to Jesus? What could that mean for us? And so that was last week. And this week, we're going to pick Jesus up in, in another story. And we're going to learn some, some pretty amazing things, I think. I've been real excited about um, the content of this message. And so I didn't in, uh, include a couple pictures, you know, because who doesn't like pictures? Um, but so today we're, gonna, we're picking Jesus up and he's walking, right? So at this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So they're walking. Jesus and his uh, you know, disciples, they're, uh, they're walking everywhere. They go from city to city, town to town. So walking was a common thing. But this time, they happened to be in a grain field. So they're walking their way to wherever they were going. And it's on the Sabbath, the day of rest. And they're walking along. So nothing new here. And then his disciples were hungry. Because who's not hungry on a road trip, right? Like you go on a trip, you bring some snacks along. But they must not have had any snacks with them. And so it says that they uh, began to pick uh, some heads of grain and eat them. I would have brought some better snacks if it were me, but they picked some grain up along the way. And so they're picking this grain, and the Pharisees viewed this as work 
Okay, so they're like, whoa. And so the Pharisees, they're along for the ride, okay? And the, the scripture, it kind of goes on. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, right? Like the Pharisees, in my mind, they're, they're kind of like, you know, Mary had a little lamb. And wherever Mary went, the, the lamb was sure to follow, right? Wherever Jesus went, the Pharisees were sure to follow because they were looking to try to, you know, catch him up in the act. They were trying to catch him in a lie, catch him in some way where they can prove like, ah, he's doing this, you know, he's not all he talks about. And so they're often found with Jesus, just scrutinizing his every move. And so they see the disciples walking, they see them picking some grain to get something to eat, and they catch him and they say, look, we got you, red-handed, look what your disciples are doing, right? They're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. We caught you document it, right? snap a picture of it, do whatever you got to do. But we've got you, Jesus. You're doing something that's unlawful on the Sabbath. And they were probably so pumped about this because it's not every day you catch Jesus doing something he shouldn't be doing, right? And so they're excited about it. They think they've caught Jesus off guard, caught him in a lie, saying you know, he's not respecting the Sabbath. But Jesus, I think he kind of looks back at them and he snaps back and he says, you know, a few things. And he's like, hey, don't you know, like, haven't you read it in the law, right? Don't you know that the priests on the Sabbath, like they have duties that they have got to do? Don't you realize that they work on the Sabbath, that your priests, they do that? And they kind of exchange a few things and he throws some more things at them and having this little argument about the Sabbath and what it is. And then Jesus probably at this point is just like, man, you guys just don't even get it, do you? Like, you don't even understand it. Like, you, your priests work on Sundays, but you have a problem with my guys just picking something to eat, a little snack. I think you've got this whole Sabbath thing wrong. I think you've got the wrong idea here. You've got it all wrong. You're missing the point of this. You're missing the whole point of it. And he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I created, the, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's kind of like looking around your house and being like, I've got a lot of action figures around, you know, some toys. I should probably have some kids so those toys have someone to play with. So I'm going to have some kids. That's not how you do with life. If you do, that's odd, but okay. <laughs> but the Sabbath was made for man. It's not made the other way around. I think you guys have got this all wrong. Jesus is saying, you know, to them, I think, do you think that God loves his law more than his people? Do you think God loves his law more than his people? But the truth is, I think the Pharisees did. They valued the law more than they valued people. And they prioritized that law over people. They valued the law more than their relationships, more than other people. And that's the essence of what I believe legalism is. And legalism, it's rampant, right, through the church often, and they prioritize it, these people. And this is what legalism is. It's prioritizing the view, like your view, over a you. If you're prioritizing your views over a you, that tends to lead to legalism. And maybe that's why you left the church. Maybe that's why some of you, someone invited you back and you decided to come and you just expected it to be the same way, but maybe hopefully you, you came in the doors and you experienced something a little bit different than what you were used to, but maybe that's what led to you leaving in the first place. Maybe you left because somebody prioritized the Bible over your mom's divorce. Maybe you left because someone prioritized the Bible over some other sin and it made that person just leave the church altogether. And this is why some of us 
have left because legalism prioritizes a view over a you. And this is what oftentimes you'll find in the, in the Gospels. When you experience Jesus, when you see Jesus in action, we believe that when people use the law, right, the law of God to dishonor other people made in the image of God, when Jesus encountered this, he was quick to remind them that they were on the wrong side of God. When people would use the law of God to shame others, Jesus was quick to act. He was quick to correct them and to say, what you're doing is wrong. You're on the wrong side of that. And you'll see Jesus time and time again doing that, where he steps in to say, whoa, 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 I get what the law says, but the way you're treating this person, I'm not cool with that. You Pharisees, you don't even understand the whole point of the Sabbath. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're so concerned with the law in this fancy temple that I know we've been talking a lot about, but this fancy temple, that you're missing the reason that God created these laws in the first place. You're missing the whole point of why we have a Sabbath in the first place. And I believe, like, have you ever had something, you're in an argument maybe, or a debate, and you have something in your mind, and you really want to say it, but you're kind of like, I don't know if I should say it. You know, if I do, I'm unboxing the whole thing, and maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'm fired up, so I'm going to say it anyways. And so I think Jesus was at this point, and I don't have anything to base that on, but my own thoughts on this, but I think Jesus kind of, he's getting fed up a little bit, and he, he pulls them, and he's like, listen, Pharisees, okay, come here, just listen. I'm going to tell you something. I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but I'm going to tell you something. Okay? And he says this, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. I'm telling you, this, this, this law you're obsessed with, this temple that you think is like the greatest thing ever, I'm telling you, something greater than the temple, it's not coming, it's not in the future, it's here already. It's here. And his disciples were like, oh, he's talking about himself again, right? Like, <laughs> Like he's comparing himself to the temple, and when Jesus does this, like that's just weird, Jesus. Why are you doing that? Like the temple is like the thing, right? That's what our whole life evolves around. And this sort of image that Jesus, you know, he's kind of like just saying, like, you know, something better, it's already here. And I'm, I'm sure he's probably like, I'll give you a hint. He's speaking, right? Like Jesus is, is comparing himself up against the temple, and that's, that's, that's not what you did back then. That's, that's blasphemy. That's insanity, right? Because when you threaten the temple, and that's essentially what he's doing, is saying, like, your temple is nothing compared to what is coming or what's already here. So he's comparing himself to it, and that's, that's an attack on the temple. And when you attack the temple, you're essentially attacking the whole nation, and that is dangerous. That's not a place that you want to go, all right? So here's a good illustration of how important the temple was to these people, okay? And so when Jesus said this, um, so seven years after Jesus said this, it's about the year 40, okay, the, the Jews, they start hearing rumors about uh, a statue that's coming to the temple. And so at the time, Emperor Caligula, who's his name, okay, he's a real person, you can look him up, okay, he has this great idea to create a big uh, statue of himself. Okay, he's like, I'm going to have a statue, and I want it placed in the temple. And that's like shots are fired at that point. You don't put a statue of yourself in that temple. That's, that's not okay with them. And so the Jews, they start to get real worked up over this. And then Caligula, he orders it. Two days later, it shows up. Amazon Prime, he's pumped. And then it shows up on the coast. And then this man, Petronius, 
Okay, he's the governor of Syria. He gets the he draws the short straw, and he has to then show up. And him in the his like Roman army, they're going to lead this uh, statue into the city. Okay, and bring it into the temple. Okay, worst job you could ask for because no one wanted that statue there. Nobody wanted it. And as soon as they showed up, he had his legions, right? And they're bringing this um, statue in, and the Jews are just freaking out. There's thousands and thousands of them show up in protest to this statue. And so they're like, no, we don't want any part of this. We're not going to do that. We will die before we allow you to desecrate our temple with that statue. There's a, a man, his name's Josephus. As, as Petronius gets a little bit closer, he's into uh, the land of Tiberias at this point, but Josephus, he's a, a, a Jewish historian, and he wrote like, a, a whole bunch of works, but he wrote this one called The uh, Antiquities of the Jews. Okay? It's like a history of the Jews. And in that, he wrote this. He said, So they threw themselves down upon their faces. Just They laid themselves out on their faces, stretched out their throats. They took their cloaks off, exposed their throats, and they said that they were ready to be slain. Kill us all, they said. And they did this for 40 days in protest. That's how much they did not want this statue in their temple. They were willing to die for their temple at this point. For 40 days they did this. Farmers went on strike. They had no food. There was famine. They were decimating the economy because they didn't want this in there. That's how much they valued the sacred temple. And so Petronius, he's kind of at a stalemate. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, if I don't get this there, I'm going to get fired. I'll probably be killed. But if I do go you know, ahead with this, then we're going to have to basically murder all of these people. And it's not going to be a fight. It's just going to be straight genocide because no one's going to fight back. They just are just going to die willingly for this thing. So he sends a letter to the emperor back to Caligula. But at this time, so the letter's on his way. and He knows this is probably going to be the end of him because you don't say, hey, boss, like I can't get it done. Sorry. So he knows this is probably a death sentence for him. But as that letter's on its way, um, Caligula is assassinated by some other Roman senators and, and the guard. They conspire against him. And so really the crisis at that point seems to be averted. The statue doesn't show up. And everything's good. But you, you, you picture that story, and then you picture Jesus saying, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than what all of you Jews are willing to die for without even putting up a fight is here. In their minds, that's insanity, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they do that? And why is Jesus claiming that? And so the temple that we're talking about, this is Herod's temple, okay? It's the second one because the first one was destroyed. The first one was called uh, Solomon's Temple. And when the Babylonians kind of took over and they kicked them out of the city and they burned and destroyed everything in there and they carted off all the treasure. And so then eventually they were, the Jews were allowed to come back into the city. So they're allowed back in and Cyrus the Great Okay, he says, listen, you can build a new temple, all right, build a new one. I don't want it to be as grand as the old one. You can build like a Motel 6 version of, of the temple, okay? It's a little bit smaller, not as fancy. And it said like once it was finished, when the Jews who had experienced the original temple, when they first went in and saw it, it said they wept because they remembered how amazing and how beautiful the old temple was. And so they lived this way, and then Herod comes along, and 20 years before Jesus was born, 
Herod says, hey, I want to rebuild your temple back to its former glory. I want it to be great and grand and amazing. I want to do everything that you wish your temple would be. And so they allow him. They say, go for it. Let's do it. Let's build this temple. Okay, so 20 years before Jesus shows up, they begin that. And this is what the temple looked like. This is not what it looks like today. Um, we'll get to that. But, so this is what it looked like at the time, about what we think it looked like. And so it's just an amazing, amazing, this is one of like the ancient wonders of the world. And some of these walls were over 100 feet tall, over 100 feet tall. And the thing that was so grand about this is that these rocks, or these stones rather, were like hand cut. These were like cut stones. Okay, they weren't just rocks they put in place. They cut these by hand. Okay, they didn't go to Lowe's and get like a big, you know, rock chisel thing. They did this by hand. Like, and the, the beauty of it and how huge, some of these stones were like 11 by 16 by 44 feet long, weighing over 500 tons. Okay, and somehow they were brought there up this, this is like up on a mount, and they brought them up there and they set them in place. How they did that, I'll never know. Probably aliens, I don't know, because that's just crazy. Probably not, don't quote me on that. But just, they're huge stones, right? And it's just amazing the work that went into this. Just huge stones, and, and they put them in place. And this is like a 37-acre property, right? And they built it up on this thing, so if an earthquake came, like you might feel it, but it's not going to destroy this temple. Nothing is going to destroy this temple, that nothing would come to destroy. And, and Jesus is saying something greater than this is here. Something better than that is here. And they just blew their minds. Like, Jesus, like, what did you have for breakfast? Because that, that can't be possible. And so a little while later, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're leaving the temple. So they're walking out. They're going on their way. They're leaving. And, and all of a sudden, and they've done this probably hundreds of times. They've been here many times. And have you ever been to like, you know, Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon, and even if you've seen it before, like you see it for the second time, it's still amazing, right? It's still like, wow, I just can't believe how amazing this is, okay? So they, they've been there, and so they look back, and it says, they said, look, teacher, right, referring to Jesus, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings, like how beautiful is this temple, Jesus? How amazing is this? Like, look how huge those stones are. This temple is beautiful. And I, I, I'm just guessing that Jesus is like, yeah, it's okay. Like, it's a temple. You know, there's rocks. And this is what he says. He turns to them and he says, do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replies, like, you see what you're all pumped and excited about? That fancy building, the way they, you know, cut those rocks all up real nice. Like, do you see that? Those big fancy rocks? I'm going to tell you this, not one stone here will be left on another. Not one stone. See how they're all piled up high like that? Some are like 100 feet tall in areas. Not one stone is going to be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Not everyone will fall down. Not everyone will kind of crumble over time. Not everyone will just like fade into existence and get old, but will be thrown down like a physical act of being thrown down. That's what that word literally translates to, is to be thrown down. And this probably like, just like, what a buzzkill, Jesus. Like, I'm talking about how awesome this building is, and you're just saying it's like rubbish. Like, he's like, that fancy temple, it's a throwaway. 
It's basically propped up for a time, and it's, it's going to be no more. So take it in while it's there, but it's, it's going away. And they must have been thinking, like, what is he talking about? It is so hard to follow this guy because he says some things that you just shouldn't say. And so they kept walking, and down into the, there's a valley down here, and they kind of go down into the valley, and they're walking along, and they come up to the, the Mount of Olives, it said. And so they probably have this big panoramic view where they can see the whole city. They probably can look and see the temple and how beautiful it is and how expansive it is. And then it says that Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they kind of asked him privately. They've probably been you know, talking about this the whole walk. Like, we got to ask Jesus about this because how is that going to, like, why is that going to be destroyed? And when's this happening? Because if it is, we got to be far away. And so they privately ask him because they don't want to cause like a big ruckus. And they say, tell us when these things are going to happen. When's this going down, Jesus? Like, you drop this bombshell on us, but you don't give us any hint about when this is going to happen. And so we don't have time to go into Jesus' whole response to that. But I encourage you, look up Luke chapter 21 this week and read it. Luke 21. And it's just, it'll blow your mind being on this side of it and what Jesus had to say. He basically says this, when, when this is all going to take place, an army is going to surround the city. And when that does, you better get running. Because the army is going to surround it and destruction will happen. Destruction is coming. If there's pregnant women, get them out. Like if it's winter, do whatever you got to do. Get out of there because it's not going to be pretty. And I bet they did not sleep a wink that night. Just thinking, holy smokes. Like that's the apocalypse in their mind. If that happens then it's, it's all going to go down. Like, that's our whole world, Jesus. And we're not okay with that happening if that's what's going to happen. So here's the thing that's cool about this, though. Okay, With the Bible, I can get, like, if you're here today and you're like, I don't really believe in the whole Noah thing and that big boat. Like, how could you get all those animals on there? Elephants alone, really? You're going to put all them on? So you might not be able to get that. And I understand that. I can, I can get that. Or you might not believe that maybe Moses, you know, parted the Red Sea and walked through on dry ground. I get why that can be a little hard to fathom and to, to understand. Right? That can make sense. But here's the thing. When Jesus predicted this, 40 years later, it happened. It happened just as he said it did. Just as he said it would happen. And you don't even have to take my word for it. You don't have to take the Bible's word for it. You can look it up. Go find like a history book on Roman history. You will find out exactly what happened. And it's just as Jesus said it would happen. And it happened 40 years later. You see, for about four years, there was some like squabbles with some of the younger Jewish. Uh, they kind of created like gangs, I guess you would call them, but little sects, and they started to rebel against Rome, and they would win little battles here and there, and they kind of won this big battle against Rome. And so they got all excited about that. They thought, oh, we've got something now. Like We can take Rome out and, and expel them from our land. And so they get excited about this. And so they start really fighting and going all in against Rome. And they're a little too cocky about it. And so a lot of like the common you know, people start to get a little worried because they know how powerful the Roman, um, how powerful Rome is and how many resources they have. And they knew this was not going to end well. And so they kind of um, start to push back. And so the rebel of the Rome, the 10th legion, and they had many others, they pushed the Jewish rebels back all the way from Galilee, all the way into Jerusalem. And they're kind of like herding them in. 
And so they get them into Jerusalem, and then this is like the festival time, so there's a lot of other Jews coming into the city. And at first they're like, no, you can't come in, you can't come in. But then uh, his name was Vespian. He's the, the emperor of Rome. He says, oh no, let them all in. Let them all in. Get as many of the Jews in there as you possibly can. And then lock the gates. So they fill this place up, and they're all, all these Jews are in there, and they start fighting with each other. They're fighting about who's going to be king because they still think they're going to win at this point, which is beyond me. And so they're fighting, and all the resources are gone by this point because they have no way to get outside to get more. So they start fighting. There's fires happen that destroy like what grain they had left. And all of this was going on. And then on August the 6th, in 70 AD, the Romans, they breach the wall, they get in, and they just destroy everything in their path. They killed about every person they could that they, they didn't think they could sell into slavery. They stole all of the valuable artifacts from within the temple. They burned whatever they could. They destroyed it. But here's what they also did. They literally dragged, they literally dragged every stone off of that plateau, they dragged them down off the ledge of the plaza and they dumped them into the valley below. We've got a picture of like, these are some rocks that are still down there from the original temple. They actually pulled them and threw them down. Like they didn't just like destroy the place and all the people inside it and pillage it. They actually tore it down to say like, we are Rome, we have the power, we can do whatever we want and we'll destroy this temple just as quick as you built it. And they did it just as Jesus predicted he would. Not one stone will be left on another. Not one stone. Everyone will be thrown down, and it happened. And it happened. We can't like, explain that. It happened. He predicted that. Like The Bible talks about Noah and all that stuff, and then you, you, know, you can verify that this happened. It's one of the greatest prophecies that, that we can prove and show that it happened. And then this is what it looks like today. This is the Dome of the Rock, and we have a, a mosque is there now, and it kind of um, went from you know, Muslim rule to then the Crusades, and it's gone from a church to, a, to the Muslim rule and a mosque, and it kind of goes back and forth. But ancient Judaism, as we know it, would never return. The temple would never be built again because something greater is here. And here's what what's, we, we kind of need to point out is that Many times in the Bible, when Jesus would say something and then it would happen, like the person writing the gospel, the account, their account of it, they would say, you know, a phrase similar to like, and so it came about just as Jesus said it would. Like it kind of, you know, Jesus said this and then it came about as just as Jesus said it would. But if you look through the gospels, you don't find this statement after Jesus predicts the temple. Because when Matthew wrote his, his gospel, the temple was still standing. When Mark wrote his, the temple was still standing. When Luke wrote his, the temple was still standing. So they were on that side of it. They just wrote down what Jesus said, but they didn't experience it happening. And what's so crucial about that is the fact that, you know, many believe that the Gospels weren't really eyewitness accounts, that they were kind of written, you know, hundreds of years later. If it was, then why wouldn't they put something about the temple actually being destroyed? How could they resist that? This is huge like proof that, that this happened and that they, the gospel accounts were actual eyewitness accounts, all, all but Luke's, but that they were actually accounts that they saw what happened. It's huge. It hadn't happened yet, but it happened just as Jesus 
predicted that it would, that not one stone would be left on another. Not one stone. He said, like the days of temple sacrifice, of sacrificing animals and that whole old way of doing stuff, that the days of God's covenant with just one nation is coming to an end. And we're going to flesh that out next week, but it's coming to an end and it will be replaced by something brand new, something universal for the whole world, something that's more portable, something that's for everybody. And 20 years later, so 20 years after Jesus makes this prediction, Okay, Paul, we know Paul is like the one who hated Christians. He persecuted them, but then Jesus met him, and, and then they, he totally changed his whole life. This Paul, temple-loving Paul at one point, he wrote the, the Corinthians, right, the, the church in Corinth. He wrote them, and he said, Do you not know? Like, don't you know? Do you not really know this, that your bodies are temples? Like that big fancy building I know is still standing. It was at this time. He's like, don't you know that your bodies are the temples? Your body, the one that, you know, it's probably stinky and smelly and the ones like you used to have to purify yourself to do anything within the temple, like that, your body, don't you know that that is a temple? But it's not just a temple, right? Like your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit, it doesn't live in that old dusty building anymore. The Holy Spirit lives and breathes inside of you and you received that from God. And this is huge. This is like a, a total mind shift for them. That you are not your own. That God took his Holy Spirit out of the temple and it's within each and every one of you. Each and every one. You've been inhabited by the Holy Spirit that you've received it from God, and the significance might be lost on us. right? Like We kind of glance over that because we know about the Holy Spirit. We know all that, but here's what he's saying, that you know, all those sacred objects that you have in there, all those sacred buildings that you guys worship and are, think are so great and grand, and all those sacred locations where you have things, like all of that has been reduced to nothing because now there's not sacred objects anymore. There's sacred individuals, sacred people, that's you and that's me. And that's the message of the gospel. That's where you can sum it up. The message of Jesus, that new, that newness, that brand new thing that he was bringing into the world, that he introduced to us is that you are seated next to sacred right now. That you're raising sacred when they wake you up at three in the morning screaming. Like you married sacred, believe it or not. You married, you work for sacred, you hire sacred, you encounter sacred at the grocery store, grocery store. Sacred is all around us. We are all sacred because we house the Holy Spirit. We are what's sacred. It's not a building. Jesus knew that. He predicted that. And see, with that, with that knowledge, as we land this plane, as we know that, that that is where the seeds were planted that would end slavery in their time period. That the, 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 the seeds were planted for dignity to be restored to men and women at that time. Because there is a link that's impossible to separate between the message of Jesus and human freedom and dignity. That there is an impossible link to break because Jesus He paid the price for you and he paid the price for me on the cross. He paid the price. There's an unbreakable link between the teachings of Jesus and your value, your worth, your intrinsic value, your dignity. 
I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something better than that is here. Something greater has come to the world and for the world. Not for just one group, but for the whole world. For the light and the love of God has been released for all of us. So here's what that means for us. Here's what that means for you. Here's what that means for me. That we have come into the story that Jesus has extended an invitation to all of us. A powerful invitation. And with Peter, it was just an invitation based off of a fish trick. He didn't know that Jesus would you know, rise from the dead. He didn't know Jesus would be crucified. He didn't know that Jesus would predict the temple would come tumbling down. But he saw, but it did. Peter was on that side of it. But how much more important is it for us where we can look back and we can see all that has been done for us? And Jesus simply says, follow me. Follow me. What will your step be? What's your next step? Will you follow him? Because I, I promise you that if you begin to follow Jesus, you'll find a life that is full of abundance. You'll find a life that is just a life worth living. You'll find a life that has so much meaning that you just can't even imagine what that could be like. But follow me, he says. Not with mind-numbing faith where you just have to believe and you don't know, but, but to have faith in Jesus, to follow him because he has demonstrated himself faithful faithful. Follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. God, we love you. We, we feel challenged this morning. At least I do, God. And I pray that all of us in this room this morning and people watching online, that we will begin to pray and to think, like, what is our next step? How should we follow you, Jesus? Maybe it's for the first time. And if that's true, that's amazing, God. And we celebrate that this morning to place our trust in you as our Savior, God. And if it's someone returning to you, Jesus, we celebrate that too, that there's nothing better than to come back to a life dedicated to you, Jesus. We pray that every person in this room will think about what we've talked about this morning, will decide what their next step is and reach out and talk to someone about that. Pray that you be with us this week and bring us all back next week safely for part five of our series. In Jesus' name, amen.